You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Way that Jesus would have us to say them. And so we do have much to pray about. We do have much that, de- that we have as desires that express, we hope, the heart of God for this world and for those that we love. So let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you now and, and we ask that you would help us to pray. Lord, we're reminded that the disciples didn't ask Jesus how to do miracles. They didn't ask Jesus how to preach. They didn't ask Jesus how to read the Bible. They asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And Father, it is in our prayers that that we learn our relationship with you. It is in our prayers that we learn your relationship with us. It is in our prayers that we draw near to you because you are already with us. Lord, prayer is a mystery. It is to be enjoyed in secret places. It is also to be expressed in corporate union as we are right now. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us how to pray. And as we do, we do pray, Lord Jesus, for the things in our world that are very troubling and very, very difficult. We continue to pray for your mercy, your grace, and your help over the coronavirus. Lord, we see it continuing to, to get bigger, and it's, it's affecting more of the world. Lord, whenever this has happened in past history, Christians have stood up and been a bright light in that darkness and fear. And we pray the same would be true for us. We pray, Father, that though people are afraid, we would be not fearful because of our faith in you. We pray that whatever money we might donate will go to the Wuhan churches to help them to bring about the truth of what is greater than the fear of death, which is the victory of Jesus' life. Lord, we know it's hard, though, and so we pray for them that you would sustain them. We pray, Heavenly Father, for our winter shelter ministry, that you would continue to provide those who can help to serve, but also, Lord, for those who do serve, that we would be your ambassadors and your light to these who are homeless, to these who don't have jobs, to these who have physical illness, that we would share your love, Lord, that we would be your light, that we would be your hands, that we would be your feet that we would be your cooks, that we would be those who help set their bedrooms. We we would be those who, who talk to them and show them that we see them. They're not invisible. Lord, help us to keep our faith strong and mighty. Help us to do that which you would have us to do. Lord, we thank you for this time. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to hear what your spirit says in the truth of your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so today we want to talk about the end of the Lord's Prayer. And in this part of the section of the Lord's Prayer, we see that there is a victory that God has. There's a victory that comes with his glory. There's something that we're aiming at. And when we have something that we are aiming at, we oftentimes are motivated to get to that end. When we have a goal, there's something that we really want to do. And a lot of times we may be in places, and I hope Sunday is one of those places, where when you leave, you say, there's something I now want to do because I met God here. 
It's not because of what Pastor Curtis said, or it's not because of what the guest speaker said, it's not because of what we sang. It's because of how God used what was done to motivate you. And we go to retreats, or we read books, or we, we spend time in prayer, we go in small groups, we go in fellowship, we come to worship. And in those times, we are being challenged to make decisions. We are being challenged to do things and make commitments to fulfill. And just this past month in January, maybe some of you um, made some resolutions. That's one of the, the joyful things of a new year. It's a new start. And we say, you know what? I want to do something new. I want to I read the Bible, or I want to exercise, or I want to reach out to my friends, or I want to be a better husband, a better wife, a better, a better child. I want to treat people nicer. I want to work harder. I want to get my homework done. We make all these commitments, and then oh, time goes by, and have you ever experienced that where you made a commitment? You truly meant it. You weren't lying. You, you truly were sincere. But as time went by, the joy sort of left. The, the commitment wasn't as strong. And, and you didn't do it as well as you thought you were going to. In fact, you, you now maybe even aren't doing it at all. And it's already just February. Uh, well, one of the ways that we see that happening in our world regularly is in January, people buy memberships to gym more than any other time of the year. January is the number one time of the year that people buy memberships. It might be a little hard to see, but um, in this, you'll see that there are some statistics here. Okay, so this is the people that are um, signing up for gyms. And so what you see is that most gym memberships, 12% is the average for January. For the rest of the month, the average is about 8% of people who sign up for the rest of the year for gym memberships. Of those people who do the gym memberships, 4% quit by the end of January. So they bought their membership here at the beginning, and they quit 4% just by the end of January. Okay. Um, by the end of February, 14% have already quit. Okay, so 10% jump from January to February. But within five months, 80% of the people have quit. They made a great commitment, but they didn't keep it. This number down here is really fascinating. It's 56% of those people, that 56% of people in the gym don't like the other people, the ones that signed up. So this number is 56% of current members don't like those people who made that January commitment. And the reason is because they took up their equipment, they took up their space, and they made things messy. Well, we don't want to be any of those people. We don't want to be those who quit, and we don't want to be those who judge those who do. We want to be faithful. We want to fulfill what God has made us to do. We want to follow God's pattern for life. And in the Lord's Prayer, we actually have a pattern for our daily walk with God. We have a pattern for something that we should remember and something that we should know because of what God does for us every day. And so as we have been doing, let us stand together and let us say our Lord's Prayer together. Let us begin. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Please be seated.
And so what we see as we began the Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago was that it began with the preeminence of God. It began, as we said, our Father in heaven, holy, hallowed, set apart are you as your name. And your kingdom is what we long for. It is your kingdom that we want to come into our lives and into this world. And also, Lord, in our daily lives, we want to do your will. And this is because of the preeminence of God, the greatness of God. The prayer begins with God. And who is this God? He is the God who cares for our daily needs. And so we pray a prayer of dependence. We pray a prayer of faith when we say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. He takes care of all of our physical needs, but he also takes care of a deeper and greater need that each one of each and every one of us has and that is for forgiveness and a relationship with him with a reconciliation that begins as even Jesus said on the cross Father forgive them and so we are even to ask regularly Lord forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors and what we learned from that last week is that as we forgive our debtors is an expression of the reality of someone who has been forgiven and so we who have been forgiven and have a renewed relationship with God, we have a forgiven relationship, we've been reconciled, we're in fellowship with God. We are people who do the same with other people. And we reconcile with others as well. And we have experienced a forgiveness that God has given to us. We have experienced the grace that God has given to us. We've experienced the food and the daily needs that God has given to us. And then Jesus says that we are to pray that you do not lead us into temptation. I believe that what Jesus is teaching us here is that this preeminent God is one who is calling us to be watchful or to be careful about our daily lives. Just like we've made commitments really fast to beginning of the year, we have these great opportunities to do things and we're excited well, sometimes that also happens in the spiritual realm where we get excited. God's forgiven me and I have a new chance, a new loose on life. I have a new relationship with God and with other people. But then we can fall into temptation. We can fall into places where we no longer do the things that we once said we were going to do. And also we have an enemy, as we're going to see today. We have an enemy who doesn't want us to succeed. We have an enemy who doesn't want us to give thanks to God for our daily food. We have an enemy who doesn't want us to experience forgiveness with God. We have an enemy who wants us to be at odds with other people and not in good relationships with them. And so we have all of this gravity working against us even though we want to move up. And the gravity is our own human nature that lets down. The gravity is the reality of other people around us and the distractions of the world. And the reality is that we have an enemy who wants to destroy us and defeat us. And so Jesus is calling us to watchfulness. Uh, what is watchfulness? A, a couple years ago at our summer retreat, we, we were doing skits. And we all got you know, to do a different skit. And there's this one skit that I remember. And I think they were um, copying a video game. And what it was, was there was one of the guys that was in the skit. And, and he was against the wall. But he kept doing this. And then he'd look like this and he'd do that. Remember that skit? Remember that? Okay. He kept looking back. And at first you think, well, he's paranoid, right? He's paranoid. But what he's looking for was for enemies. 
He was looking for anybody that might come behind him and sneak up on him and hurt him. Now, in a positive manner, this is what God would have us to do in our own lives. I think the word, instead of being paranoid, though, would be circumspect. Can you say that word? Circumspect. Circumspect. Big word, right? It just means to be aware of your surroundings, to be circumspect, to be aware that there are traps being set for us. There are things that we must be watchful about. We must watch because the world wants us to be defeated. Satan wants us to not live with God the right way. And so as we pray each day, we're saying, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Jesus says that we are to be people who watch and pray. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, verses 40 through 41. Matthew chapter 26, verses 40 to 41. Jesus is praying. He is being prepared for going to the cross. He is in a garden. He is with his friends. He is hurting and he needs to turn to the Father. He wants to be with the Father and he goes to be with the Father alone, but he asks his friends to pray with him. In Matthew 26, verse 40 and 41, Jesus comes back and the Bible says this. He'd been praying and he comes back to his disciples. It says, then he returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus wants us to watch and pray. It is through this watching and this praying. It is through this circumspection. It is through while we pray, even as the Lord Prayer teaches us to pray, that we do not fall into temptation, that we do not go into the place where we are led into it. So we are to be able to always be ready to say no to those things that might cause us to disobey God or to fall away from him or to do the things that Satan would have us to do, which is appalling to God and hurtful to us. Now, temptation itself is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. We know that Jesus was tempted as well. When he began his ministry, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was led to the desert, and there he experienced a temptation with Satan. But he was victorious. Why? Because he held on to his father, and he obeyed the word of God. He held on to the word of God, and he was able to say no to temptation. Now, God will never tempt us. Satan is the one who tempts us. In James chapter 1.13, the Bible says that no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So God does not tempt us to sin, although God allows temptations in our lives to test us, trials to make us stronger. Satan brings tests into our lives to make us fall. God brings tests into our lives to make us strong. But Jesus wants us to pray that we don't fall into those temptations or we don't even get to those places where we would be pulled in, sucked in, and as the children said, that we'd be lured into sin. It's interesting that Jesus tells us, lead us not into temptation. He doesn't say, 
to say, lead us not into sin. Because temptation keeps us away from sin if we say no to it. But there are so many temptations in the world. It's like these people being sucked in by the magnet. Sin in the world has this strong, strong magnet that wants to pull us in. And we must be aware that there is this temptation around us all the time. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon says this, we must bolt and bar the door well if we would keep out the devil. We must bolt and bar the door well if we would keep out the devil. And this is what Jesus is teaching us to do, to pray that God would preserve us and keep us from the temptations that might lead us into sin. And we'll see what some of these are. What are these temptations that we should ask God to keep us from? What should we be watchful for? In 1 John 2.16, the Apostle John says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We see here three soul temptations that come upon us. And the first one is the lust of the flesh. And this is a need for inappropriate or excessive appetites. Now, sex, for example, is something that God has given to us to be good. But if we give in to sex outside of marriage, if we give in to sex in ways that is inappropriate to what God's Word teaches us about fidelity and about honor and about taking care of our bodies, then we give in to the lust of the flesh. But it's not just sex. There's other ways that we can give in to the lust of the flesh. Like our mouths can get into trouble. We can give in to cursing. We can give in to flippancy. We can give in to gossip or slander. Those are lusts of the flesh. There's physical harm that we might do to other people. Out of control in a rage. We say things we shouldn't say. We may do things we shouldn't do. It is the lust of the flesh. There's also drugs and alcohol, which we can become addicted to as being ways that our flesh is tempted. And we must say no to them because these are the lusts of the flesh. There's also other temptations. We say, Lord, keep me from the lust of the flesh, but Lord, also keep me from the temptations of the lust of the eyes. The eyes, when they give in to the lust, they're pursuing things, they're thinking of things, they're looking at things that are unnecessary. They're excessive. They're more than we need. They're more than the comforts that we need. They're more than the possessions that we are to have. We are to possess ourselves with our eyes. We are to use our eyes carefully. And so the ways that we would ask God, Lord, protect me from things where my eyes would see things they should not see. Protect me from sexual images I should not see. Protect me from greed, from wanting things in this world that I do not need. Protect me, Lord, from having a coveting spirit where I want more just because other people have more. Now, I want more. I see what they have. It looks good. I want it too. We, we talked about that with the children. With money. Money is one of the greatest temptations we all face because we live in a materialistic world. 
And Jesus is telling us that we must guard against the lust of the eyes. And so we say, Lord, protect me. Keep me from those things that would cause me to sin. Keep me from the temptations of my eyes. John tells us also that we need to pray and to, to guard our lives from pride, from the pride of life. And, and this is selfishness and the need for control. It's making life about myself. It's, it's being puffed up or, or wanting personal glory or making a name for myself. And I think one of the things that word that helps us to see whether or not we're falling into pride is how passionate are we for success in this world. I know that that's a temptation to me. I want to be a success. And, and this is something that is something that's very dangerous because it's something that's inside of our hearts. It moves us. It pulls us like that magnet. We want to be seen as successful. Or we want to find a life that's satisfying. We want to know, like, why am I here? And we, we pursue all these things thinking they'll fulfill us, but they won't. Because we can't fulfill ourselves with anything in this world. Only God can. Only Jesus can fulfill us. And so we're asking him, Lord, keep me. Keep me from temptation. We ourselves are to be watchful by praying and being aware of these things that are pushing against us so that we don't give in to them. So we have a God, a preeminent, wonderful Heavenly Father, who cares for our daily needs, who forgives us regularly and calls us to be forgiving of other people, who calls us into a life of circumspection, of watchfulness, of carefulness, and we see what we are to be watchful of. But then there are times where it just seems so strong that we're going to fall, and so we need to be rescued. The Bible says, but deliver us from evil. Jesus tells us, pray these words, Lord, deliver me from evil. The word deliver means to rescue, to rescue. So Lord, rescue me. Rescue me from the evil one. Rescue me from Satan. Rescue me from the evil in this world. Rescue me from even the evil that might be from within myself. Lord, deliver me from these things. Have you ever, anyone here ever been rescued like in a pool or at the beach? Anybody? One, two, three. Okay, now we have some four, five. Now we're being honest. Okay, I see that hand. Thank you. Um, well, I was too, okay? Um, and I almost died here. I mean, it looks really pretty. I would have died in a very pretty place. Um, this is a beach near La Jolla. La Jolla is near La Jolla. It's the other side of La Jolla Cove. It's south of La Jolla Cove. And uh, I was in high school. And my cousin was in college, and he loved um, to go surfing and body surfing. And so I had a boogie board, and he had his fins, and he goes, there's a great beach in La Jolla. Let's go there. And I'm like, okay. And so we go there, and we go out into the water, and he is with just his fins, and I'm holding on my boogie board, and I'm trying to catch a wave, and I'm kicking, and I'm trying to get into the, the shore, and nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. In fact, I'm moving further away from the shore. And so I start to think to myself, maybe this is what's called a riptide. Right? Maybe this is what they mean by a riptide. Maybe that's what's happening to me. But it can't be. Right? So I try harder, I try harder, and I'm going nowhere. In just a little while, I'm starting to get nervous. I'm starting to get scared because I'm, I'm being pulled away, and I'm not a good swimmer. If I had let go of that, that boogie board, I would have not been able to swim far, and I would have drowned. But lo and behold, I see this 
orange thing coming at me. And uh, it's actually orange trunks. And he's holding an orange wiener. And, and he's holding this big flotation orange device, and he's swimming at me. And he gets to me, and he, he throws that uh, wiener at me, and he says, hold on to this. And so I hold on to it. And he swims, and he pulls me in through the waves, and we're close to the shore, and I'm so embarrassed. I remember saying to him, um, and I never said thank you. I was so embarrassed. I said, I, I can go in from here. And he looked at me, and he, he literally said this. He goes, if you get off here, you're going to end up back there. Yes, sir. And I just hold on until he pulls me all the way into the shore. And he says to me, you're lucky. He goes, there are no lifeguards here on this beach. But I was coming back from my shift at the other beach. I parked over there, and I saw you. I was rescued. I was rescued by God's grace that sent that lifeguard across my path where no one else would have been able to save me. This is what God does for us. He rescues us. And then when my cousin and I were leaving, and he too got caught in the riptide, but he was a strong enough swimmer to get back to shore. We never went back out in the water. And then after we recovered from that, we walked back to our cars. And when we were walking back to our cars, this is what I saw. A sign. Rip current warning. Possible rip current swim with care. I didn't see that sign when I was coming to the beach. My cousin goes, Oh, yeah, I saw that sign. <laughs> and I'm like, what's up? Why didn't you warn me? He goes, well, I didn't think it would be that bad. Sometimes we think it won't be that bad. Sometimes we think we can get through life without calling on God to rescue us, without turning to God and obeying his word, without staying faithful to pursuing and to heed his warnings. Jesus warns us to pray that we have an enemy, an evil one, who wants to take us down. And we need to pray to be delivered from this evil one, to be rescued from it. Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's the warning sign. We have an enemy. He wants us to be defeated. He is seeking to destroy us. He is the evil one. He is the devil. The word devil means slanderer. Have you ever had somebody slander you, say things that weren't true? Or say things maybe that were true, but they said it to other people to hurt you? Somebody that gossiped about you? That's what the devil does. He makes up things, and he takes things that we know that we've done wrong, and he uses them against us to slander us before God and before people. He's also called the devil. He's also called Satan, which means adversary or the accuser. And he accuses us. And he tells us that we're not worth God's time. We're not worth God's forgiveness. We ought to just give in to the temptations because they're always going to be there. Go ahead, do it. You'll feel better. But when we do, we just feel guilty. We don't feel better. We'll say, you know, I'll never do it again. God, I promise I'll never do it again. Have you ever said this? God, I promise, I promise I'll never do it again. And then you did it again. I've been there. I think we've all have. 
So we need to pray this prayer. Lord, rescue me. Now, how? How does God rescue us? How does God rescue us? James 4, 7 through 8. Can we read this together? Let's say it. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. There's two things here that we see. Now, God is going to deliver us. But he also asks us, like, just like I had to hold on to that life buoy that the lifeguard gave to me, we have to hold on to the word of God. We have to still do what God's word says. And the first thing that he tells us to do is to submit. And so the way that God delivers us, the way that God rescues us is through submission. And that's obedience. It's doing what God says. It's obeying his commands. It's saying no to the sins that tempt us. It's saying yes to God. It's turning to Him. It is a way that we say, Lord, I surrender myself to You. I submit my will. I submit my actions. I submit my eyes. I submit my hands. I submit my mouth to You. Lord, I want You to sanctify. I want You to make these things holy. I want You to use those things for good and not for bad. So, Lord, I submit. I give my life over to You. And the second thing that we see there is that we are to resist. We are to resist the devil. We are to resist evil. We are to resist the one who seeks to bring us down. This is our way of fighting back. We resist. Now that is a defensive move on our part because Satan is coming and trying to pull us and we are pulling back. We are resisting him. We are turning away. He's coming against us and we are going to fight with our might, but this is our resistance. It's, it's the way that we do it defensively because he's, we didn't go to him. But now we also have an offensive way of fighting. We have an offensive way of fighting against God and that is through the sword of the Spirit and through the Word of God. And so we can resist God by obeying his word and by repeating his word. So if we have a temptation for sex, if anyone here would say, you know what, I am tempted by pursuing sex outside of what I know to be right, then we would say this word, just say it out loud. Flee from sexual immorality. Can you say that with me? Flee from sexual immorality. Just saying the word of God. Nothing is more offensive to Satan than God's Word. When we repeat God's Word, it is the sword of the Spirit. It is the means for our resistance. It is our way that God has given to us offensive weapons with the Word so that we don't give in to sin. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, can we read this together? Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And so we see here that we are to flee from those desires that are excessive over money. We are to flee from the things that make us think that money is going to make us happy or that we pursue money more than God or that we become materialistic or greedy. But then there is more that we do. We replace that desire by pursuing that which is right, by pursuing God and doing the things that are godly, the things that God would have us to do. 
We are to pursue faith and grow in our knowledge of God's word and in our relationship with him and worshiping him. We are to grow in love so we don't want to hurt ourselves or other people. We want to grow in endurance because it's not easy to say no to sin. But in the midst of all of these challenges of life, we also want to remain gentle. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 22, can we read this together? Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Okay, if you're under 20 years old, please stand up. If you're under 20 years old, please stand up. Okay, that, that verse is talking to you. It says, flee the evil desires of youth. Can we, just you, just you, youth, can we read it together? Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This is what God calls us to. You may be seated. Thank you. That even youths face the opportunity of being adults and of fighting Satan and resisting the evil. And the reason that all of us do this is to pursue righteousness, which is pursuing our relationship with God. It is pursuing the God who loves us. And so we say this prayer, Lord, help me, keep me, deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from evil, keep me from temptation. And this is the first part of Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, in the same way that it was the verse that we looked at with the children. But there's a second part of verse 6, 13. It's not in everyone's Bible. Um, but it is the words, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's in some versions of the Bible and not in others. In some Bibles, like the NIV, there'll be a, 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 like a, a footnote, and it'll say that some versions, the later versions, have these words, for yours is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. So what it is, is <coughs> scholars have a way of studying the scriptures and typically, usually, the oldest scriptures are considered to be the most accurate and the ones that we can depend upon the most because they're older, they're closer to the time that they were originally written and to the life of Jesus. Well, the oldest manuscripts, the ones that are the closest to the time of Jesus, don't have these words for yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory. They came later in other manuscripts. Um, and so some people believe that these are part of Scripture. Other people believe they're not. Um, one of the things that we could probably say is that these words were, were probably words that were added as a doxology or as a praise to the prayer. These are words that were added because it was very common for the Jews in that day, and therefore the Christians who had, the Jews who had become Christians would naturally normally end their prayer with a doxology. And so this is a doxology and a praise, and it actually is, I think, very, very appropriate. And I believe it ought to be part of Scripture. I believe that it's very appropriate because just in the same way that we started pray our prayer with praise to our omnipotent, our preeminent God, so we end with praise to our God. We end with words that are still very scriptural. So it's not just like these are the only times that we see it in the Bible. We see it in multiple times in the Bible. 
In, in 1 Chronicles 29, which is where they believe that this doxology came from, they being scholars believe that the doxology that we read for yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever came from 1 Chronicles 29, 10, 11, which would have been a standard doxology that Jewish people would say at the end of their prayers. Can we say this together? 1 Chronicles 29, 10 to 11. Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. We see the commonality of those words with the words that we have in Matthew chapter 6. But in this way, we see that what Jesus is showing us is that we have a God who owns the kingdom. We have a God who is preeminent. We began with praise. He cares for our daily needs. He forgives us and he brings us into relationship with him and he calls us to reconcile whole relationships with others. He calls us to be watchful because even after we experience forgiveness, we need to continue to watch that we don't fall into those tempting sins. He calls us to know that he will rescue us. He will rescue us from Satan. He will deliver us from his hand. And he wants us to be mindful that it is him that when we say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that his kingdom will will be done on earth. But we're also mindful that there's an eternal kingdom that we long for and that we would go to. This is the prayer that God would have us to pray every day, to talk to him every day. Now, some people have said, should I pray this prayer literally or not? Um, and so some people would say, um, no, we should not, because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, which is how we began the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus was asked, Lord, you know, teach us to pray. Jesus says this, this then is how you should pray. And so that word how means in this manner or in this way. And so people who hold on to that word says that, well, Jesus is giving us a model prayer. This is how we should pray, not what we should say. Uh, but you also have to look at the other scriptures that teach on the Lord's Prayer, which is also in Luke chapter 11, verse 2. And there Luke says that Jesus said, when you pray, say, and then the Lord's words, the Lord's Prayer after that. So in Luke, the word is say, and the word literally means to say out loud, to speak out loud. And when it's used in the New Testament, it's often used of Jesus when he says, and I say to you. So literally, Jesus is speaking. So we have both. We have a model prayer, and we have an exact prayer. And we all know that we should memorize Scripture, and the Lord's Prayer is Scripture. So we should memorize the Lord's Prayer. I believe that it is both. If you are struggling in prayer right now, I would believe that by starting with the Lord's Prayer every day would be a good way to build the habit of prayer, to say it, even as the Lord said, when you pray, say. But to those of us who feel like our prayer life is building, our prayer life is free, we can bring to God on a regular basis our needs, then we see how, how we are to pray, by focusing on our God and by knowing his power, his preeminence, his glory, his kingdom. And that as we pray in this world, the things that we pray about, we are praying for his greater good. Even as God answers prayer, he answers prayer for your greater good. He answers prayer for our greater good.
God wants us to pray. I want to encourage you to come on Wednesday nights to pray with us. I know sometimes it's hard to get out of the house in the middle of the week, but we pray at 8 o'clock Wednesdays here, um, usually in room 8, and we pray together, we bring to God our requests. But we also want to go and to pray for people. And so if you have a special prayer request, special need, you can't come on Wednesday, let me know, let Elder Mitch know, and we will pray with you. Maybe we'll pray with you after church on Sunday. If you have any prayer needs, you can come and let us know. We want to pray. And also, the prayer group is trying to go to places to pray for ministries in our church. This past Friday night, a few of us came to pray for JC and for the youth group as there's this transition. We want to continue to, to meet with other people in the different ministries to pray with them because we know we are so dependent upon God for prayer. We are turning to him. He owns the kingdom, but he also owns us. He is our God. He is our Lord, and he is the one who answers our prayers. And so as we pray, we turn to our loving Heavenly Father who cares for all of our needs, who brings us into one, and we ought to pray, and we pray the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray.